I, I want to share something that's on my heart for you uh, from the, God's Word. But in the middle of it, I also want to bring a little bit of an update uh, too of some of the things that are happening in the city and beyond. Uh, it's, it's beautiful to be in, in fellowships and I do, as Nathan said, I do pray that there'll be um, dozens, if not hundreds, of little fellowships scattered everywhere because little is good. Little is good. So if you get too big, I hope someone goes and starts another one somewhere another two or three somewhere, and maybe your connect groups are uh, the beginnings of that. You know, I love the Presbyterian minister in Manhattan in New York, um, Tim Keller. He wants to plant a church for every 500 people in New York. So I think that'll keep, his, that'll keep him busy the rest of his life. Uh, how many millions in New York? Um, but his church is already five or 10,000, so he needs to send some of them out to do that with. Um, now, I had, a, I had a gadget here. Oh, we've got a scripture there, thanks. Which end do I point at what? Um, this is a scripture I want to share, and for many of you who, who know your Bibles, this is very familiar, especially in the book of Acts. And let's just read it, and it's of course breaking in the middle of a sentence, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now that scripture is a very familiar scripture, and particularly in the last, in my lifetime, I grew up as a Methodist and went to train to be a Methodist minister and got involved in the charismatic movement. And so the work of the Holy Spirit really wasn't uh, large in, my, in the church that I grew up in. When the charismatic movement came, it was all about the work of the Holy Spirit, receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And this scripture was one of the most popular scriptures, that uh, when we become Christians, we also receive the Holy Spirit uh, to, to have power, to be witnesses. And um, uh, there's even another scripture that suggests that you can become a Christian, but not receive the Holy Spirit, because the scripture there is, is, did you receive the Spirit uh, when, since you've believed? And so some have, yes, I believe in Jesus, Lord and Saviour, but the Holy Spirit is also a part of the package. He's the second person or the third person of the Trinity. So we believe in the Lord Jesus, but have we received the Holy Spirit to receive power to be witnesses? Because there's nothing worse than powerless Christianity. <laughs> uh, to feel um, impotent, unable to accomplish anything, uh, is a bad feeling. And, uh, you know, if, um, when I was a farmer, to try to be a mechanic, which I wasn't very good at, it was always frustrating, or to break in a horse that didn't want to be broken in was always frustrating. But then I'd watch the expert horse breakers, and it was no trouble to them. But it was frustrating to me because I didn't have the power to be a horse breaker. And then to watch the local mechanic come up and fix what I'd broken in the machinery in the farm was also frustrating because it seemed so simple to him. But it was very frustrating to me. But I suspect a lot of Christians know that they ought to be good Christians and, and effective Christians, but feel a bit like I did. We're looking at the blooming horses that I was, sorry, uh, Shelley, they're going to be upset about me, my horse-breaking deals. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd get so frustrated with them. Uh, no, I won't tell you what I did, but uh, probably learnt some early French um, in those days. And it is frustrating. But this scripture then, when the onslaught of the charismatic movement, if that's the way to explain it, it was fantastic 
Because I was never taught that there was a Holy Spirit that could empower me. No one had ever, my minister never said that. I don't think he knew about it for himself, to be honest. Lovely man as he was. Um, there. So when the Holy Spirit came upon me, wow, it transformed my life. But then there came also seasons of frustration, of ineptness or impotence, where I didn't seem to be achieving too much. So what on earth is all this about? Because more and more as I got involved with the charismatic movement, uh, the interpretation by charismatic leaders and pastors of the day, and particularly those from the Pentecostal persuasion, was that this was all about being witnesses to win souls for the Lord and to grow our churches. That's kind of the basic meltdown of it all. And I, I mean, that's, that's a true statement, um, but then I would try to be a witness. And I realized I was a pretty bad witness in bringing people to the Lord. I had foot and mouth disease. The more I tried to witness to non-Christians or my neighbors, I can still remember witnessing to my next door neighbor when I was a farmer and we both knelt down in the dust to, so that I could pray for him to receive Jesus but nothing happened and he never came to church and I thought I went through all the four spiritual laws I did all I could what's going on and since that time many many times in my life I felt very frustrated at that you know and I thought Lord it's a true statement we're meant to witness to our non-christian neighbors friends and relations, etc., and bring them to the Lord. So that's true. And I, like everybody else, needs to, need to learn how to do that better. But actually, this means far more than that. It includes that, but means far more than that. Because if we look at it, the whole, the both witnesses where? In Jerusalem? Well, we're not in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or even uh, the remotest part of the earth. We're right here in Highfields. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, we should go back into the book of Acts, and have a look at it and it's just going to be a very 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 brief overview because Acts now do you know who wrote the most of the um, New Testament by the way which author wrote most of the New Testament who hands up who votes for Paul hands up who votes for somebody else hands up who thinks this is a trick question you're not going to vote <laughs> and that was Luke who wrote the most of the New Testament that's a surprise to us. He only wrote two books, but they're big. <laughs> he had a lot to say. Paul wrote a lot of smaller books. Now, Luke's second book is a lot about Paul, but Luke wrote a lot. And it's incredible. When you put all his stuff together, Luke's Gospel and Acts together, and link it with the Old Testament, it's an amazing thing because Luke, more than any other, links the Old Testament through into Jesus' life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and then the activity of the early church. So he really puts the whole thing together. The only author really to put it all together. And Paul, of course, writes a lot about it, but really, he's a, really a subset to all Luke's overview. So what was Luke trying to say here? First of all, he's linking it with his own book in the Gospel of Luke, of, um, Luke 24, where he calls the early church, or Jesus calls the early church, to be witnesses, that the message of repentance, the Gospel, should go out to all the world. We know the Great Commission, don't we? that the gospel should go out to all the world. And then he, right at the beginning of this book, he said, now this is what you're meant to do. Well, let's think for a moment, what actually did they do? Now, we certainly don't have time to explore all that this morning, but in brief, when you look through the book of Acts, I'll tell you what they did to fulfill the Great Commission and what they do, did to, to fulfill this. They actually went from city to city and planted a church in each city, in each community, and then Paul or which the apostles would come back to strengthen them, encourage them, make sure the leadership was there. And then Paul, 
some of the letters from prison would write letters to those citywide churches to ensure that they were holy, deal with the issues and the problems, make sure the leadership was in place, make sure the unity was right, make sure love was there, and make sure they were effective to their city. And that's exactly what he says. Now, there's many, 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 many scriptures that say that. So, somehow, we've dropped the ball in terms of what the Bible really says that we're meant to do. Because this is what we're meant to do. We're meant to start where we are, in Jerusalem, if you like, then go to the surrounding places, and I'll mention a bit more about that in a moment, because Judea and some... Well, Judea was the area just around Jerusalem where the Jews lived. That was kind of the territory of the Jews. And Samaria... Well, that's every, no Jew wanted to go to Samaria. They were hated. They were hated. You know, the, the, the Samaritans actually were considered part of the northern kingdom that broke away in David's, well, in, after Solomon's time, and uh, were totally, totally um, uh, apostate. And they formed their own worship centre. They mixed it with God. They even developed, uh, dedicated their chief temple to Zeus, the Greek god. And the Samaritans were hated. They were considered not even half-Jews, a kind of, well, you could use a bad word, of what, and they were just hated. The Jews thought they were just out there. They weren't Gentiles, they weren't Jews, they were a hated people in the middle. And yet, Jesus said to the apostles, once you're finished with the Jews, you've got to go to the place that you hate the most. <laughs> Oops. Uh, and then, 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 out to every part of the earth. Now, there's a lot in all of this, uh, because uh, just huge because the book of Acts is so exciting to me. The book of Acts actually is the only place in the Bible where, where, actu where it's actually explained what we're actually meant to do as Christians. I mean, practically, and they did it. It's, it's a practical outworking. I mean, everywhere in the Bible is, is instruction for us how to live as Christians and what to do. But the book of Acts is actually the summary of what they actually did. So it, it shows us all the theory of all the Gospels and the Old Testament and even Paul's letters, all centers in the book of Acts. And yet the book of Acts, somehow, we've kind of missed it a bit. Well, speaking for myself, maybe you haven't. And it, as I've been going through it again, I realize, hey, what did they do? What did they hear? Witnesses in all of these places. And how did they do it? They went from city to city. And, um, whoop, one, two... And the first city they went to, and this is Acts 8.8, 8, and uh, we could look at the wider story. The first city they went to was Samaria. And Samaria was the capital. It actually wasn't called Samaria in this day because Herod, a few years before this time, had renamed it Sebasti. But it was the old city of Samaria mentioned in the Old Testament where the Samaritans lived and was their capital city. And they were the apostate in the middle, not Jews, not Gentiles, but just rubbish people in the middle. And were hated. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, once you've finished where you are, now, that's Jerusalem and all the little towns and villages and cities around Jerusalem and Judea. And once that's organized, now you're to go to Samaria, the place that you hate the most. And look what happened there. An amazing revival. There was much rejoicing in that city or much joy in that city. The city rejoiced. Why would they rejoice? Because God really did love them. They'd been told for hundreds of years they were hated by God. The Jews, the next door neighbours, wouldn't even walk through the blooming country. They would walk around it rather than walk it through it. They hated them. The Samaritans were shockers. And that's why the parable of the Good Samaritan shocked all the listeners back in the um, 
days of when Jesus was on earth and he told that parable. They, you know, they all coughed and spluttered in their teeth. That can't be right. But they went there first and somehow the Samaritans received it. They were loved. They were loved. And God goes to the margins first and we'll come back to this in a moment. We'll come back to that in a moment. So, what am I saying? I'm saying the book of Acts for this, this scripture here to be my witnesses the way they did it was from to go city to city. Now, this might, you might think, what on earth has this got to do with us here? City to city. That's how they did it. They had a church in every city. They got leadership in the city. So, and then history tells us that the church in that city, many congregations, but one church under common leadership of elders, grew. They loved the people. They went out. They looked after the poor, the widows, the aliens. Uh, when plagues came through the cities, as they often did, People would flee the cities to get away because no, the medical help wasn't good. But Christians would stay back in the cities and nurse the sick. Many Christians would die as well. Uh, babies, in those days, the abortion thing wasn't happening very well. So if you had a baby you didn't want, you'd just leave it exposed somewhere. They said that early Christians would get up in the morning and walk around, and particularly in Rome, under the bridges where discarded babies were and still alive and take them home and look after them, rear them as their own. Now, you might think that's far-fetched. I met a girl only a month ago. Uh, as a baby, as a baby, was found in a dumpster where she'd been dropped for four days. And she's alive in Toowoomba today, thanks to someone who rescued her. So we don't have to go back just to those days. And many, many babies have been rescued, and what many more would be. But back in those days, it was common. So Christians gave their life to help those that everybody didn't, else didn't want. And no wonder the church grew. There was many slaves in those days. The Christians welcomed the slaves into their midst. They welcomed women into their midst as equals, which was, you might think, well, so what? They ordered. Yeah, but in those days, women were usually second or third rate. Absolutely. Jesus honoured and elevated women. And Paul taught Husbands, that the, their first responsibility was to love their wives as Christ would love his church. And I mean, the, 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 it was a counterculture. It was a, different, it was a revolution of the day. There was, they were persecuted by the Jews, the church was. They were persecuted by the Romans. Many of them, of course, went to the lions or were burnt or were killed. And most of the apostles ended up being killed and martyred. But they went out into every city. What an amazing group of people. And not only that, when they were formed, anyone who had excess money or lands, they didn't worry about superannuation, they didn't worry about investments. Sorry if this is what you're into. Um, We've all got superannuation if you get a wage, I guess. But they didn't worry about that. They got rid of excess. They capitalised the kingdom by getting rid of excess unneeded, not unwanted, unneeded uh, areas of finance that they might have had and gave it to the church so that the church could fulfill its mission, looking after the poor and doing what it needs to do. I mean, it was revolutionary. It's scary to be in that sort of a church, wouldn't it? You know, and then Ananias and Sapphira were, they told, they sold some stuff, but they told lies about their giving. It, um, they, they just told the truth, it would have been okay, but they told a lie and they both dropped dead in the church service. I mean, that, that would make you sit up in the average church service, wouldn't you? I mean, I shouldn't joke about these things, and uh, that, I'm sorry if it sounds... I am trivialising it, I guess. I mean, it's deadly serious. But what an amazing bunch of people. And what did they do? They were committed to go city to city. Now, not everyone, 
but the ones that remained behind were committed to their city. And in Acts 13, we find that the city at Antioch, all the leaders got together and then released Paul and Barnabas, and some would say up to 30 or 40 people went out into the cities of the empire, out into the remotest part of the earth. So the whole issue of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, you shall receive power. This comes back to my original point. Power for what? Now, the word witness, I know in the Greek it means to lay your life down for something, but Bishop N.T. Wright says, puts another little twist on it and uh, on this whole issue of um, witnesses. He said it's like a herald. Back in those days when a king or a new emperor was pronounced or came to the throne in Rome or anywhere else, they, they didn't tweet his um, what letter or have, CNN wasn't there to cover his enthronement, uh, you know, didn't go out spontaneously and instantaneously through media of the day. They actually sent what they called heralds. And the heralds went to every part of the empire and said, there's a new king on the throne. Submit to the new king. You know, long live the king. We now worship this king. And in those days, of course, they did worship the emperor. And so N.T. Wright says those witnesses are like those heralds. And that's who we are. We're heralds to the true king. That there's a true king. And uh, what, what an amazing kingdom he has. A kingdom that goes to the margins. A kingdom that starts with the most hated of people. You know, uh, on um, Friday I was, I was asked by an Aboriginal brother that I know quite well to ring this Aboriginal pastor in Broome because of some work, um, Pastor Wallow, and Pastor Wallow, some of you will know, well, probably most of you don't know him, is a, is a PNG pastor that was living here in Toowoomba with us many years. And uh, he went to an Aboriginal town called Luma, which is inland from Derby in um, the Kimberley area of Western Australia, some years ago. And, you know, I'd always often wondered, was there any, did that work? How well did that go? Well, I talked to this pastor or the, uh, on, um, on Friday or Thursday, I forget when it was, and they were telling me of the revival that's going on in this Aboriginal town. To this, I mean, who's ever even heard of Luma? You know, the Aboriginal situation in the north often is, gets all bad press. You know, the drunkenness and the incest and the brutality and the domestic violence and all the stuff that just got, if you've been reading about it, and you think it's an impossible deal. But here in the midst of it, and I'm not saying we hate them, I hope we don't, but it's, a, it's like, you know, even the government can't solve their problems. I've put billions of dollars into it and they can't solve the problem. But here's God moved into one little community called Luma with about three or 400 people and he's doing miracles there and restoring families and restoring marriages and healing the sick. You so, you know, it's amazing the things that God is doing around the world, and I'm sure that's repeated many, 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 many times. So we're called to be heralds. We're called to say he's king. He's the Lord. He has good news for you. But it's not just news for our ears. It's like, if you've got issues, I'm here to help. <laughs> you know, if there's, if there's sick, we're here to help the sick. If you're poor, we're here to help the poor. If you're a widow and you're grieving, we're here to stand with you. If you're a new refugee, and I love what's happening among the refugees in, in Toowoomba, you know, to meet uh, them. And I think we have some of their kids in the school. And what a joy it is to be able to support them. And I hope we can do that and much more as well in these days ahead. So we're called. We're called to be witnesses, to be heralds to the, of the king. So that the cities of the nations will be touched. Let me now, this comes to the update a bit. How is all this going to happen and where are we up to now? Where are we up to now? Because, you know... God's call to us is to his biblical mandate for us 
He didn't call us just to come and sit in a church. Now, I'm not, I hope I don't say that in any harsh way because I believe in sitting in a church. <laughs> but that's not the end of it, of course. We're here to be his witnesses, his heralds. We're here to change the cities of the world. Well, we're here to be disciples, to go out and disciple the nations because that's the Great Commission. How do we do that? City by city. How do we do that? By seeing a church in loving unity in every city. The unity of the church in the city. Now, that's a given in the Bible. That's a given. Now, it, it's, a, it's a hard one, and I was talking to Matt about it um, before. It's a hard one because we've got 500 years of disunity. But God calls us to unity. And everything in the Bible, you know, John 17 obviously is a prayer of Jesus, a prayer that his people would be one, then the world will know. It doesn't mean we all worship in the same building every Sunday, but that we love one another and that we have a common eldership of elders across. Toowoomba's church should be one in such deep sense of love that the Toowoomba people themselves will know and, and say, what do you guys got? What, why is it that you spend, you know, what, what is it that you've got the way you support and love one another? You know, we're working toward, and it's wonderful, 40, 50, 60 pastors and parachurch leaders and others wor worship and pray together every Thursday morning in Toowoomba, and that's beautiful. We've still got a long way to go. We should double that number because there's so many uh, people in ministry in some form or another in our city. But it's a beginning. You know, if we know that our God is a God of unity, then his church needs to be unified, needs to be one. The unity of the church of the city. Uh, over the last few... Um, Months, probably the last 12 months, I've had the joy of travelling around Australia a bit. Just came back from Newcastle last week in the Hunter River with Pastor Herman Reiters from the Rangeville Community Church. You know, I've been doing it. And the week before, we were around Western Australia. Went to one of the most isolated towns probably in Australia, Esperance. Anybody been to Esperance? Mm, nice spot. Uh, lovely coastline. And, uh, and Busselton and other places. And then um, before that, uh, Tassie, we did a week in Tassie. And what we're doing is meeting networks of pastors. And the beautiful thing is God's gone ahead. The beautiful thing is that in all of these towns and cities, and we're, we're up to about 50 or 60 towns and cities now that we're connected with, with uh, some pastor or leader leading some sort of unity. Uh, I would suspect there's hundreds across Australia, but they're the ones I know about uh, or from a personal point of view anyway. There's pastors and intercessors and prayers praying, God, create a unity in your church in our town, in our city, that that town will know and be transformed. They're starting, I believe, Acts 1.8 is starting to take root in Australia and New Zealand. And some of you might remember Pastor Colin Shaw, who was many years, 20, 30 years here in Toowoomba, Kiwi, gone back with his wife. He'll, in fact, he'll be in Toowoomba next week, uh, to New Zealand. And they're going up and down New Zealand, every town and city. Now, God's gone ahead. You just find pastors and leaders and prayers who are praying together. God, there's something more. How do we fulfill what the Bible really says? That in every city there needs to be one church in loving unity, bringing transformation to that city. Because that's what the gospel's about. That's what the book of Acts is about. There's no thought. In fact, Paul, he went to great lengths to get rid of any idea of disunity. And I was talking to an academic in um, Sydney who studies all this in the original languages a um, couple of weeks, or a few weeks, I read his book and, uh, on the book of Acts and I thought it was tremendous. And I found out he was in Australia. And I was, 
Uh, in fact, he, he Kirsty Moore, who was a teacher in our school here, uh, was in his Bible school. And so I, I, uh, had, I shouted him a dinner so I could pick his brains. And he, he's just very clear about it, that in his academic study, that the thought of any disunity in the church as they went through the Roman Empire would have brought defeat to that church and they would never ever reach that town and city. This unity allows the enemy to triumph and you don't succeed in your mission. That's his bottom line academically. But he's not, I mean, he's not doing any unity stuff himself. He's an academic. But in some ways that greatly encouraged me because an academic has seen that unity is important so that the enemy can't get a foothold anywhere, anywhere in uh, the work of God in the city and the city can be impacted. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. I mean, literally, Christianity began from Jesus knows 12 and spread through the cities of the empire and then further afield till it engulfed the whole world. But somehow through the course of history, we've now broken down into all this division and we wonder why, coming back to my original statement, why we feel impotent, why the church isn't breaking through, why aren't more people converted, why is the culture going so bad, and it is. There could come a day where it'll be difficult to run this Christian school. In fact, we might be outlawed. And it could be, even in my lifetime, the way things are going. Uh, and if we want to stick with our principles, then it could be very, very difficult even to operate. Culture is changing against us, against Christianity. And we don't know what to do about it. We can make a noise, we can write to our politicians. But somehow the early church, persecuted by the Romans, persecuted by Judaism, and yet they made an impact in all their towns and cities because they lived in unity. What's the key to all that? Well, it's not only the humility of the leaders, the humility of everybody. Uh, humility, you know, um, there's a scripture in the um, Old Testament, Isaiah 66, and what, what, Jesus, what God is saying, that this is the person to whom I will look. He is humble and contrite of spirit, and it trembles at my word. My, my own belief is that the greatest lack in Christian church today is the lack of humility. Because if Jesus was anything, he was humble. The enemy's territory is pride. God's territory is humility. And now we might think, well, I'm not a proud person. Well, pride can come in many forms. Pride doesn't mean you go around beating your chest and saying, you know, I'm the greatest. Uh, I hope none of us are quite got like that. But pride can simply be, you know, what I'm doing is better than the other blokes. My church is better than someone else's. He's got faults and issues. But my church is a bit better. We're a bit pure. Our theology is a bit better. You know, pride comes in many forms. Uh, I tell you when you know you've got pride, when you won't go to someone you hate. You won't go to Samaria. <laughs> you won't wash the feet uh, of those that um, despise you, hate you. You won't pray for your enemies, as Jesus called us to. Those that hate you. You know, I see people rising up against the Muslims in Australia. I hear that... The, the Muslims are wanting to build a mosque in Toowoomba. And see some of the hatred about it. The um, politician that swore on the Quran last week in the swearing-in of the new Rudd cabinet. Anybody see that on the news? And then some of these statements are made about it. Well, I, I obviously feel disquieted. I, I don't like that. But hate? Hang on. Why doesn't the church rise up in love and go and serve the Muslims that have come to Australia? Why, why is it that we don't go and minister to into the Muslim communities of Australia. You know, I know, I'm very good friends with a pastor in Jakarta, Rio Safarani, who's been here 
several times. I think he's even spoken in the school some years ago. And uh, he works, he disciples jihad leaders, former jihad leaders, secret at night because both will get killed if they get found out. And as, uh, as um, Matt was reminding me of a brother he knows in Papua, of all the Muslims are getting converted. Some can do, uh, worship openly, but many have to worship secretly. You know, and, and um, I said to Rio one day, aren't you scared of the Muslims? Because they've burnt down 10,000 churches, they've killed a lot of people. Aren't you scared of them? He laughed and he said, no, they're scared of us. <laughs> and I said, well, what if they kill you? And he just laughed again. He says, well, then you'll go to heaven, don't you? <laughs> oh, okay. It sort, of, it sort of diffuses your little worries. And what are we worried about here? It'll be unlikely, witnessing to a Muslim, that you'll get killed. Now, it is possible. I, I, uh, I know a good brother who works among Muslims in Melbourne, claims that there is one person who did get killed by Muslims in Melbourne, but no one's been able to nail it. Either that's true or not, I don't know. But what I'm saying is, hey, where's the church today? Pride is just simply saying we're better. We're, we're, we're us. It's about, about who we are. No, humility. And it does, it's not only about the leaders, it's about all of us. It's all of us. God help us. Well, I better go on at a time is getting by. Equipping of Christians to do the work of the ministry. And of course, this is Ephesians 4. And uh, if you're reading the first um, 16 verses of Ephesians 4, it would be a good idea to read it in some versions. And it begins with the whole idea of humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another. It begins with this issue of humility. Make sure you really work hard at unity. Really work hard because there's only one body, one church, one faith, one hope, etc. And it goes on to say that. So where there's humility, there'll be unity. If there's no humility, you know, why are marriages breaking up? Because we lack humility in our marriages probably. Now, if you've had a marriage break up, I know that could be a sore point, and I don't mean it to, to be like that. But, I've, uh, you know, I'm, st I'm still married at 45, um, after 45 years, uh, but that's not a statement of pride. That's a state of, yikes, that's a miracle. Because many times we could have been broken up, although Betty claims she never thought of divorce, but she had thought of murder several times. Um, and, and I guess that's another effective way to end a marriage. Uh, look, so it's by God's grace, because we, we just hit walls many times, and it is by God's grace. And we, we went to another pastor and his uh, wife in our city, uh, many times after we'd been married, 20 years ago now, when we were married 25 years, to get help. God, how do we... How do, I don't understand this woman I've married. Goodness, yeek. Why don't you give me someone I can understand? I can still remember the day I said to her, I don't understand you. And then I said, do you understand yourself? She said, of course not. And I thought, well, if she doesn't understand herself, why would I bother trying to understand her? So that actually set us free. You, I realized us men marry mysteries. And, and that's one of the reasons why we love women and why we love our particular woman, our particular wife, because they're a mystery. And that's why marriage stays got a lot of chemistry all the days of your life. There's more chemistry in the end of your life than in the beginning because you understand what true deep love is um, because this mystery you married, it's a real mystery. You, you, did you guys know that women are mysteries? Did you know that? Eh? You're not saying anything. You, Matt's sensible enough not to say a thing. He's just going to sit there and not even nod. But I saw his eyes move. <laughs> uh, yeah, look. Um, the whole issue of humility brings unity. 
And um, unity, what is, where does unity go? Well, unity must, you know, it flows to all, not only the leaders, but to all of us. And in, in, Acts, in Ephesians 4, it then goes on to say that after the unity that God equips, gives gifts, everybody's got a gift. And that the whole issue then is for the leaders to help, and I think Nathan mentioned it before, help all the Christians uh, discover what their work is. So our work isn't to sit here on Sundays. That's what, this is what we do to get refueled. This is an important occasion. But who are we? What are the gifts and the passions that we've got to serve the body of Christ with? And the, the wonderful thing is, and this is a bit more of the way of the report, and most of you will know this here if you're interested, and I, I just love it that so many are praying together in Toowoomba. We've got a long way to go in Toowoomba. We have, but it's begun. Humility is coming. Leaders are humbling themselves, confessing their sins and uh, asking for prayer from one another. It's beautiful. And out of that, many people are being released. And I think some of the remarkable things is the story of uh, the city women. And I don't know if any of you have seen this book or not. It's a story of um, what fighting for our daughters. And, of course, they have camps here in the school several times a year. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to see what God's doing in Toowoomba to fulfill Acts 1.8. It's, our, it's a beginning. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. Because if we don't become heralds and witnesses to the wonderful saving grace of the Lordship of Christ in our city, way beyond our local church, then we're just consigned to wither in some little local church. And that's what's happened down for hundreds of years. People get tied up in their little local church and that becomes it. No, it's important, but this is a, this is a bouncing point. This is a springboard into the wider city. And as you'll see later, even further afield, I would encourage you to read that. There's uh, Cole Shaw, who was here for 20 or 30 years, wrote this book about church unity. And again, I'd encourage you to read it if you're interested in all this. No, not all of you are interested in all of these things, I know. But I hope you're all interested in being part of the, a church that makes a difference in Toowoomba. Because, um, and today you should have received um, the monthly One Church News. Are they around somewhere, Nathan? Um, somewhere... Once a month, these come out. And I'd encourage you to read it because you'll discover, I mean, I think you'll discover that probably, well, last month it had you guys in it. Um, but you'll find stories about the whole church of the city here in this deal because this is a part of humility again. Humility means I'm more interested in other people than I am in myself. You know, that's why humility is hard to get because we're all interested in ourselves <laughs> and all more interested in, our, in my ministry. I know when I talk to other pastors, I just can't wait for them to shut up so I can start talking about my ministry because they want to talk about their ministry. Now, hopefully it's not too much like that, but that's somehow, sometimes what I feel like, it's like when I talk to pastors. We're all into what we're into, and that's fair enough. But really, Jesus was more interested in others than himself, and he calls for the spirit of humility to be in us that we're more interested in others than we're in self. So listen to yourself when you talk. Do you hog the conversation? I, or are you sitting there bored when you're listening to someone else talking about themselves, their selves? <laughs> you know, it's, humility means how can I serve you, brothers? What are your needs? You know, none of us have this innately. None of us. All of us are born in pride because we're born in sin. And sin is about pride. We're all about ourselves. We're all about self-centered. And Christian and religious self-centeredness is the worst because that's what the Pharisees had. They couldn't understand anybody else. They couldn't even see the Messiah who they were preaching when he stood in their midst. They killed him. Then they killed his followers. Yet they were the ones that upheld the word of God. 
And sometimes I think, as us Christians, we're Pharisees because we're about ourselves. We, we don't kill other people with guns, but we say, oh, that church, they're, off, they're doing this, and this Christian, they're doing that. So by, uh, what, we wipe other people off just by simple words of criticism, not even knowing what's really going on in their lives quite often. And maybe they are wrong in some areas, probably are. But guess who else is wrong in some areas? <laughs> probably us. Just as likely. Anybody got the perfect truth? <laughs> no hands. I was looking forward to finding someone who did, so um, uh, I could, you could lay hands on me. Um, a Lutheran pastor in the city wrote this book about his journey into this, discovering the supernatural, and all the more miraculous because he's a Lutheran, uh, and a reverend doctor at that, and some of you will know Edgar Mayer, and it's a, rem- it's a testimony. And it's got an amazing chapter on unity and an amazing chapter on suffering for Christ. I'd recommend it. You see, these are all happening in our city. Um, This is the stuff we're doing around the nation. One heart, and you can have that. Uh, In fact, I'll give all this stuff away. Anybody want it, you can have it if you're interested in it. This is what we're doing around the nation. And as I mentioned before, it's lovely to know that we don't have to organize it. God's organizing it. All we do, Herman and I go around like little watering cans, watering the little shoots everywhere, encouraging, and being blessed by them. I mean, we're amazed to see the stories that we're hearing all around the nation of when churches work together and pray together, what God's beginning to do in the cities and the towns. And he's doing it here in Australia as well. Um, there's lots of stuff. You all know, some of you know Bella Magazine, uh, Emily's Voice, and um, this is a little book written by a former teacher of the school, or teachers, Derek and Nancy Thomas, of the miracles that are happening in uh, Fiji and Papua New Guinea in particular a little bit in other places as well. It's all happening. And do you know why all those things are happening? Because pastors are finally saying, it's not just about me and my church, it's about who we are together in Christ, praying together, becoming the church of the city, and releasing people's ministry. All of those things have come out of praying unity in the city over the last 10 or 20 years. Now, And the amazing thing to me is a lot of that stuff's going national now. You know, Emily's Voice, which began with four couples in their 20s, is now going around Australia. I can't get over it that they're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're all in their 30s now, uh, um, and they've hired a a terrific guy, Paula Rourke, and I think, has he spoken here? No, no. Uh, to, to take this message out. I can't get over that Bella magazine is going around Australia. Um, the whole Fighting for Our Daughters Forum is going around Australia. All from, just because people are coming together in unity. Where brothers and sisters dwell in unity, I'll command a blessing, God says. I'll command a blessing. So when he empowers us by his spirit to be his heralds and witnesses to the cities, he means it. He will do it. But we think we reduce it to what we want instead of what he's calling us to, which is always bigger than us. If there's any part of Christianity you can handle yourself, then it probably isn't fully God. could be partly. I mean, God said to Abraham, this is, what I, this is your future, Abraham. How many stars up there? How much sand down there? Well, give me time. I don't know. I can't count. Well, it's, in other words, the vision is too big for you, Abraham. And of course, the Abrahamic covenant is still being played out on the planet today. So that's how big it was. So if it's a God vision, it'll be impossible for you to fulfill. It's impossible for me to fulfill even the unity of the church and the transformation of Toowoomba. Impossible. I can't do it. But God can if people will humble themselves 
repent of their sins and look to the Lord and see what he will do. And it's begun in our city. And you're a part of it. I love that what you've done in the last few Saturdays with biblical counselling. That's a part of it because Christians from other churches have come here to be empowered by the ministries and the, the gift strengths that you have. But you've also got gift weaknesses like I have. And that's why we need one another. So we can be empowered together. We come here to get refueled. We come here to learn. We come here to be part of a bigger thing in our city and even beyond. And we're called not only to that, but of course to the nations. And, um, you know, it's lovely that teams are going out. But it's amazing to me what has happened even to the nations from Toowoomba. This healing the land phenomena where whole villages through Melanesian countries are coming to the Lord all began in Toowoomba. I can't believe, well, not through me, through a Fijian that was here at the time. Uh, not through me at all. In fact, I was playing, I'm probably still playing catch up. But now his work and his ministry has brought uh, revival to Eskimos in uh, Canada, uh, to Indians in America, Aboriginals in Australia, to, as well as Papua New Guinea, Fiji, and Vanuatu. And I've had the privilege of being some of these places, not all of them, haven't been to the Arctic Circle, I have no desire to go there. I can't believe it that one of his Fijian pastors went to the Arctic Circle and married an Eskimo and stayed there. Can you believe a Fijian? Hot, cold, hot, cold. So anyway, but I've met them both uh, in Fiji a couple of years ago. They were back in Fiji, this uh, Eskimo lady, Inuit now they're called, and uh, wonderful to see their marriage and wonderful to hear what God's doing. And where did that begin? All began here in Toowoomba. I can't believe it. Not because of me, but because, well, we had all these guys were coming here and it actually was a Canadian that was preaching in Toowoomba at the time many years ago. 15, 14, 15 years ago and he was preaching about some of the stuff just theoretically and this Fijian heard about it and he said God can heal my village and whole villages have been healed and coming to the Lord and there's miracles, there's ecological miracles, even bad waters turning to good water, infertile soils becoming fertile, amazing stuff that's happening and that book records some of those miracles. All started here, you know all God wants us to do is pray together in humility and he'll do the rest. It's not rocket science. And every one of you have got a gift. Every one of you have got something from God. And if we work in humility, in, the, in unity, the gifts and the passions that you've got will be released. If four couples can do something about abortion across Australia, what can some of you young people do? Teenagers are helping uh, Liz write Bella. Maybe some, maybe some from here. Has anybody here had anything to do with Bella? There you go. There you go. We've, we've got somebody. And Liz the other day was telling me and, and half rebuking me because she was talking about taking it to America. And I, you know, part of the old people's job is to calm the young people down. And, uh, but you've got to say it carefully and make it sound wise. Um, but anyway, um, she, she kind of half rebuked me sweetly, uh, but straightforwardly, if you know Liz, um, there, that the whole world needs this message. Girls everywhere have been sexualized and need help. And of course we've got to go to America. Oh, of course, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, I love it, these big visions. Only God could do that. What can God use you for? I mean, he might use you to be in-house person here. To that, and that will be the extent of what you do. When I say the extent, I don't mean that in a negative way. That is fantastic for the project to flourish. 
That's important. So all of you should work here. It's important this congregation flourishes and is blessed and is strengthened. But it's also important that you're part of the church of the city. Bringing healing to our city. Bringing to, what has God put in your heart that you can change in Toowoomba? I love it that a certain uh, grandma uh, that will remain nameless takes a little team into the brothel regular basis here in Toowoomba to meet with the girls. Now that's a ministry I probably wouldn't choose. I wouldn't have thought that any uh, person could have chosen or, or could effectively do. But it's been done. And many other things have been done as well. What has God got for you to do in your vocation? You know, to be a good carpenter, be a good lawyer, to be a good candlestick maker, whatever God's called you to be, and do it under Jesus and see how Jesus will use you to extend his kingdom in your workplace. That's important. I know Matt has that on his heart. Very important. So, we better finish. Although I hear that your head pastor knows how uh, he, he um, preaches long sermons, does he? Not long sermons? You're not allowed to answer. So, um, but you'll receive power. Power. The ability to accomplish what God has for you. Not what I say that you have to do. The ability to fulfill and to accomplish what God has for each one of you. And he's got, there's no zeros in the kingdom. None. Everybody's got a place. You know, I look at young, what's that young, on the Emily's Voice ad, the young Down Syndrome kid at Dolby, that's features, what's his name? Josh, was it? Josh, you know. And I look at that and, and you'd think, how could a Josh, a Down Syndrome kid, have a place in the kingdom of God? But his face, his smiling face is all over Australia now. Well, increasingly through those ads. You know, there's no zeros in the kingdom. No, there's nobody's a waste of space. Everybody is a vitally important, created unit in God who, once we're in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, get to do something as a witness or a herald for the wonderful extension of that beautiful kingdom and first to the margins. But, you know, think, who do you feel for? What's the passion? What's the deal out there? Go to it and see how God will work in your heart and life. So, project, my prayer for you is that you'll increasingly receive the Holy Spirit and his empowerment so that you can accomplish all the amazing things. And you already are, of course. It's amazing what's happened. Amazing that you're here. It's amazing your growth. It's amazing what I see in your leaders. It's wonderful. I love having a chat to Peter every month or two. I love it. God's already at work here, powerfully. How much more he, has he got for you? How can he use you in these days ahead? Father, I just thank you for this fellowship, the project. Thank you for its leaders. Thank you for each person that attends here. Father, I, I just thank you that at, in the end of the day, it's actually not about us, not even about our leaders. Uh, it's actually about you. And Lord, as we come humbly before you, together, seeking unity here in this body and being a part of the unity of the body of Christ in this community, in this wider city, Lord, how can you empower us to uh, strengthen our fellowships and to transform our cities? God, a lot of people need you. A culture is becoming very negative and heavy. The sexualized culture is killing our women and killing our men too, but they just don't see it. God, forgive us 
Forgive us to being blind to the pain and the hurts around us. Empower us afresh to do something about it, not to put up with pain, not to put up with sin, not to put up with idiotic and stupid things that happen around us in our own life. And we don't have to beat up on other people, but in the wider culture. God, I pray that you'd put in us a holy um, lack of uh, unrest that, um, or restlessness that God, t- till we find ourselves uh, empowered to, um, to make a difference somewhere or to work with someone else or to get into someone else's team, to join Nat at the base or the City Women or Easterfest or whatever, to get, get involved in something else if we can't do it ourselves because many of us do need to just learn how to support other people. God, help us, we pray. So, God, we just thank you for your promise, your word, where you said, God, that you will bring your word to bear on cities. And just in Samaria, the whole city broke out in joy because you'd visited them. Lord, we look forward to the day when Toowoomba will be in a state of joy because Toowoomba will know that you've visited it. So, Lord, bless each person here and help each person find their part in your great purposes in this city, across our nation, and even in other nations, if you should call some there too. And we just pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.